G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Talkback line open right now. You might have a finance question for Alex Cook, our Ask Alex segment. Alex Cook, a special welcome back to 2020. Thanks, Neil. Great to be with you as always. Alex, uh, we'll take calls in just a few moments. Uh, Let's start with a question that's come through on an email from Ingrid. Ingrid says... Hi, I've started putting 30% pre-tax into super. I'm with Hester. I hope to complete four, uh, complete work in four years. I still have a mortgage, $100,000. I was wondering, with the current financial climate, which is the best of the Hester options to put my super into to get the maximum returns? Uh, what's your response for Ingrid? Yeah, look, it's a good question. And in one sense, it requires knowing the future, which, of course, none of us know. <laughs> um, but what, what I'd say to Ingrid, given she's, you know, thinking about retirement and so forth, what are the issues that she needs to address in deciding which option is right for her? So the, the issues are this. Firstly, how much risk are you prepared to take? Uh, and that can be looked at in different ways. Risk is in terms of, most people think of in terms of capital loss, you know, portfolios going up and down and the risk that we won't get our money back in the future. Now, with super, the whole idea of it, of course, is that you hold it for the long term and that you, just because markets fluctuate, doesn't affect um, you know, what you're doing. You should just, you know, sit tight, so to speak, as a general principle. Now, most funds like Hesto, and there's many others out there, those industry funds, give you a good uh, simple range of options, usually a conservative option, a, uh, a sort of a moderate option, a growth option, and sometimes even a high growth option. So there's a range, if you like, or a spectrum of risk intake from high, high risk, high growth, through to conservative low risk. And how much risk you take will be partly determined by how you feel about money and whether you're concerned about it and so forth. The other issue is, of course, knowing the macroeconomic environment, which I think is part of the issue behind her question, what's going to be the best going forward. And as I say, that's very difficult to predict because it's possible that you know when we look at the world at the moment, asset prices are very expensive. Therefore, high growth options, which you would expect will do the best over the long term, um, may do badly in the short term. You know, in other words, if stock markets crash, those high growth options will do far worse than a conservative option. So, what you need to do when you're coming to these sort of uh, decisions is weigh up how much risk am I comfortable with? What impact would it have on my retirement if I had a, if there was a big downturn either just prior to or early into my retirement? So, they're the kinds of things you need to be consider um, to determine what is right for you. Um, But you should always have a long-term view on your superannuation money. And you should also be in a position where that if a downturn does occur, and that's certainly a risk given the current environment, that you are minimizing your downside risk, particularly if you're either in or near retirement. So you want to lower your risk if you're in that sort of situation. So you're not eating into your capital in the event of a downturn. So there's some of the considerations uh, for Ingrid to have. And given our 
conversation last week about what to potentially expect uh, with a pretty tough year ahead in 2022. Uh, Good to be thinking about these sorts of issues and uh, to get some professional advice. Uh, 1-800-316-316. To join in our conversation today, a question, a comment, a scenario, let's take a call from Geoffrey in Northcliffe in Western Australia. Hi, Geoffrey. Welcome along. Hey, how's it going? Very well, Geoffrey. What's your question or your comment? Uh, well, my question is that my wife and I both have very small supers. Like, I'm only 38, but um, with what's going on, um, with the um, not getting vaccinated and stuff like that for personal and health reasons, um, that we might not be working soon um, if WA government pushes through on the 31st. Uh, can we join our two supers together to actually have something that's actually going to build? Because at the moment, I'm at under 40,000 and so is she. A good question, Jeffrey. Uh, your thoughts here, Alex? Yeah, so the question is, can you join your super funds together? And the short answer is yes, yes and no. So um, generally speaking, if you have your money in an industry fund or a retail fund, husband and wife money is separate in that respect. However, what you can do, and this is only if it's appropriate, and it might not be based on your age, is you can set up a self-managed super fund and the money gets combined. So you could literally pull the money together and then you can invest that money accordingly. Now, that does have some downsides because there's accounting fees attached to it. Um, Obviously, you've got the responsibility of managing the money well. Um, And generally speaking, I don't recommend people have self-managed super funds unless their balances are greater than $300,000 or more because anything less than that, the costs of running them far outweigh the benefits of having them. Um, But that's the environment where you can combine them and then you have more control over the money. Otherwise, normal funds such as retail and industry funds, etc., they're always done as individuals rather than um, as a husband and wife putting your money together. Jeffrey, does that... The reason reason I was asking that question was because we're getting hit with fees because we're low... Thing. Um, we've taken the insurance off, we're taking this, we're still getting annual fees, which is higher than the interest it's making. Um, mm. Which is why I was thinking if we could combine them, at least then it would make enough interest to cover and put some into it. Um, mm. I am trying to start a couple of enterprises. Um, at the moment, I've got one that I've started up through Containers for Change um, because, obviously, trying to get work through somebody in our situation is nigh on impossible. And the people who are employing us or would employ us are too scared because of, what, a $100,000 fine yep. for having somebody unvaccinated working Jeffrey, for Jeffrey, let's uh, get a focus on uh, the fees in your super mm, fund. Yeah. Uh, Alex, uh, your thoughts around uh, where those uh, super funds charge fees, is there a way you can minimise those? Absolutely. So look, what I would say here is, f- firstly, fees matter. And so it's very sensible for what Jeffrey's trying to do, and that is to lower your fees, given the environment we're in, and presumably small super balances from what you're sort of implying. And given your age, that would be- make sense. So... Um, 
what the best sort of place to look for low fees these days is either the industry funds because most of those have a fee system that's usually around a dollar fifty a week, so it's low cost type structure. Yes, that may be eating into your balance to some degree, but generally those fees are fairly low. Um, and then, uh, so that's that's obviously a, a key sort of uh, consideration. There are also some these days some innovative what I call digital super products that are out there, and some of those also are very low cost. So you have to sort of surf the net to do your homework there. Um, but some of these more digital super funds where you can set them up really easy, roll your money in, often a lot of those have very low fee structures as well. So you can certainly do your homework, and but you're on the right track in the sense that um, if you're not working for a while and, and just generally because your balances are small, you do want to try and minimise your fees as much as possible. Jeffrey, thank you so much for your call. And uh, Jeffrey's scenario certainly describes uh, the difficulty that some people are facing right now. Our mm. talkback line is open on one 316 You might have a question. You might have your own scenario you'd like to present to Alex Cook on our Ask Alex segment. Uh, let's go with another question. This one from Dorothy. Alex, Dorothy says, Hi, Alex. Recently, my husband and I listened to your interview with Neil on Vision Radio. You talked about the first and foremost thing was to pay down debt. Where does that put us in terms of thinking about the equity in our home and a reverse mortgage to help us stay in our existing home? Your advice on this subject would be really appreciated. What are your thoughts here, Alex? Mm, look, it's a great question and probably an increasingly common one. Um, so firstly, at the principle that we tend to operate under, and anyone who's been listening to our show for a while will know um, that I do encourage people to get out of debt, right? Um, the Bible never paints debt as sinful or wrong or anything like that. It just merely warns us that it can cost us, you know, it can, it can lead to slavery if we have too much of it. Um, but And then also, when people uh, get to retirement, we try and encourage them to obviously be debt-free. But we realise that that's not always possible for everyone and what some people may consider is a reverse mortgage so the first thing is what is a reverse mortgage and basically it's a it's a home loan as the name suggests in reverse where you don't actually repay any of the loan you take out a loan against the equity in your home so most banks that offer it will lend you say 20 percent of the equity in your home so if your house is worth a million dollars they will lend you two hundred thousand and you don't have to repay it and what happens is the interest capitalizes and when you sell the property in the future or you pass away, that's when the loan gets repaid at the time. Now, there are all sorts of pros and cons with them. So one of the great pros, of course, is you get access to a lump sum. So if you're wanting to um, you know, supplement some of your income in retirement um, or you need a lump sum for a particular purchase, you, know, you want to go and buy a caravan to do a bit of travel, or all those kind of things, it gives you access to the equity in your home. So that's a, a fantastic uh, win for many people. And of course, you get to retain the home and that home may continue to appreciate in value. So that's, that's the positive side. On the downside though, um, your children might not like you too much doing it because ultimately their inheritance will be diminished because ultimately the loan gets paid back when the house gets sold or um, which will, that's what happens. The house will ultimately be sold and it gets paid back. Um, and that may mean that the inheritance for your beneficiaries is um, lower at the time. But possibly the biggest disadvantage, and this is where financial planners like me get a bit nervous about them, is the interest is essentially capitalised. Because you're not paying the loan back, 
you're just accruing interest. So it's basically compound interest in reverse. Uh, and therefore, the equity in your home is diminishing month after month. And that's that's the real downside of them and something that you really need to consider because of what it may mean if you do sell the home in the future and you need some of that money, then you'll have less access to that money because, you know, you, you'll have had all this accrued interest over that time. So there are pros and cons. Um, I'd strongly suggest people getting advice before entering into these, just so you work through the different scenarios about the real impact that it'll have on you and your beneficiaries. Dorothy, hoping that was helpful insight. Our talkback line is open on one 316 You might have your own scenario you'd like to present or a question about what's happening with finance today, uh, economics, uh, what's coming into the new year. Hey, let's spend a few moments talking about Christmas. It's almost upon us, Alex. Uh, there are some common mistakes we often will make with money around Christmas time. What are your overall insights? Yeah, look, it is. It's look. I feel for people at this time of year because often it's a time of stress where people are running around like crazy trying to get things done and spending money, uh, and they're nervous about it because they don't know how much they're spending on different things. And so the big mistake that people often make around this time of year, of course, is overspending. Whether that's spending too much on on all the meals or the gifts and so forth, Um, and then finding themselves in a situation where come January, all of a sudden. You've got a credit card debt and you have to pay it back. So that's probably the biggest mistake, this overspending and the fact that often it gets done using borrowed money. You know, our sort of view, as as we, we always say, is to try and save the money in advance rather than borrowing it and paying it back later with interest. So the rule 101 for Christmas, in my view, is try and pay for everything in cash rather than putting on credit. Because with credit, you'll be very tempted to spend more than you otherwise would have. That's the danger of credit cards. And of course, you'll end up paying all this interest potentially as you repay the debts over the next couple of months. Um, So best way to avoid Christmas spending mistakes is simply just to do a bit of planning, sit down, you know, and work out who who do I need to buy for? How much am I going to spend on each of them? What am I going to buy for them? Do all of this before you set <laughs> you go anywhere near a shopping center because of course once you get to the shopping center you'll be bombarded with all the uh, all the wonderful things uh, that you can buy for someone and be tempted to spend more than you otherwise would have. So the key thing is proper planning well in advance. Make sure you use cash rather than credit and uh, just plan it a that little bit better. And of course, if you get opportunities for sales and discounts by doing a bit of internet research before you go near a store, then you know, poc- pocket, the, uh, pocket the discount. Don't go and use it as a, an opportunity to spend more. Alex, for a lot of listeners tuned in today, I mean, we talk about finances and sometimes we struggle with the idea that our finances might look differently now that we're Christians. So when it comes to Christmas and the sorts of things we spend money on, how do we think differently if we have a biblical foundation to the way we think about Christmas and how we spend all those sorts of things? How do you think the difference happens thinking about Christmas as a Christian? Mm, Look, I think there's probably two big ones. One is obviously making Christmas about Christ. You know, our culture is very much about um, this is a time of year for gift giving and family, all of which has a positive element to it. There's nothing wrong with, you know, gift giving and that. But it has gotten to the point where it's very stressful. And you'd say many of those things have become idols in our society because they 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 get overdone. 
As a Christian, though, I think what we need to do, of course, is reflect on, hang on a minute, what's this really about? You know, this is about celebrating uh, Jesus' birth, but what he's also done for us, you know, that he fact that he came into the world, uh, he died for us and he took away our sin. So that is what it's ultimately about, and that's what we should be celebrating. Um, so taking that, and but then also adding another Christian dimension to it, and that is that this is a chance to be generous in different ways. So rather than being generous just with your gift giving to family and friends, why not be generous to organisations that are helping others at this time? You know, we're seeing what's going on around Australia now with people who are affected by these vaccine mandates and so forth. You know, people are many people are suffering job loss. Some people of their businesses have suffered due to what's going on with all the lockdowns this year. This is a chance to really step in and meet the needs of our local communities. So Christmas is a time to be generous, to show our faith. You know, when we look in the, the, the book of Acts, the early church, what did they do? They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And that's how we as believers should be looking at it. Um, who can we help at this time? Who around us is finding it difficult? Who can we invite to, you know, Christmas lunch or dinner so that they, they're not lonely? So they've got, they're surrounded by... Um, by loved ones and by people who care for them during a tough season because you know Christmas is very lonely for many people so as I say for Christians this is about refocusing and reflecting on the goodness of God and the, what he's done for us but then also being generous and reaching out to those in our world who are hurting and of course there are plenty of people in Australia at this time who are experiencing exactly that. So look, it's a great opportunity, I think, for Christians to live out their faith in really practical ways. Wonderful insights as always, Alex Cook. And to connect with Alex, Alex, the founder of Wealth With Purpose, you can discover Alex online at wealthwithpurpose.com. Free eBooks, the My Toolkit, free videos, podcast content, lots of great resources to help you manage financially as a Christian. There's also a way you can follow Alex on Facebook and on Twitter and the Ask Alex email, askalex at wealthwithpurpose.com. Alex Cook, great insights as always. Thanks so much for joining us today on 2020. Thanks, Neil. Great to be with you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.